Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Family Business Today, where every family business has a story to tell and a step to take to not only thrive, but working together, create a lasting family legacy. I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Tom Bakewell. Tom hails from St. Louis, Missouri. Tom is a member of the National Association of Corporate Directors. Tom writes and speaks on strategy, governance, boardroom success, handling conflicts of interest, building private company boards, and strengthening shareholder relations. Tom is an independent director at First Bank, a family-owned, 100-plus-year-old bank serving family businesses in the Midwest and California. His consulting includes many private companies, small-cap public companies, top nonprofits, historic fourth- and fifth-generation family businesses, private equity, and startups across multiple industries in the U.S. and internationally. Tom is the author of Claiming Your Place at the Boardroom Table, the essential handbook for excellence in governance and effective directorship. It is the number one book on Amazon on board governance. Many boards use this book as a director orientation tool. Well, hello, Tom. Good morning, Greg Lewis. How are you today, sir? Oh, I am doing well. Thanks for asking. But really, I'm so excited about you joining me for this edition of our Family Business Day podcast. I've really been looking forward to hearing more about your thoughts on the importance of board governance to family-owned businesses. Happy to be here and have the conversation. I'm very passionate about governance and family businesses are one of the big areas like you I've had the privilege to work in a good bit over the years. So let's get to it, my friend. All right, well, let's get started. So Tom, in the beginning and for many smaller first generation enterprises uh, that I talk to, the governance system is usually really quite informal uh, with the same small group of individuals really serving as the owner, the parents, the CEO, with those roles really not clearly delineated. Some family business owners even say to me at times, what is governance and why do I even need it? How would you answer them? Uh, Great question. I love to start off right with the basics, and uh, I'm going to give some pretty uh, breakdown basic answer to this. One of my favorite definitions of governance uh, from a good friend of mine who's very skilled in governance is that governance is a conversation. Uh, One of the CEOs I've uh, worked with over the years who's got a very successful business, he says governance is a relationship. I I like to say as well, governance is a journey. Uh, Those are pretty abstract concepts. Um, uh, Went to write write this book uh, where I had the chance to kind of put my thoughts on paper and it helped crystallize some things. I, I came up for myself with two definitions of governance. One is uh, pretty, again, abstract. Governance is governance is governance. And what I mean by that is uh, whether you're a local church board or whether you're a small family business or whether you're the federal government or a multi-billion dollar family business or everything in between, governance is governance and governance. Governance can be very important if you uh, make it important uh, and it can uh, uh, fall by the wayside if you don't attend to it. The other definition of governance that I came up with, my second definition beyond governance is governance. Governance is that governance is experiential and reality-based. What is the matter at hand that you're dealing with and how is it being addressed? I was just at dinner the other night with a fellow who has had a very successful family business for years. They provide school lunches, mostly in rural communities. 
so very involved in the local communities. And he toyed with the board for years, and he finally put one together about 24 months before the pandemic. And I would hear him whine about how hard it was getting this board going. But I'm telling you something. Last night when we talked the other night, he said we would have been hung and in trouble if we hadn't had a family business board with some good outside directors when we hit the pandemic. So yeah. uh, what's the benefit of it? Um, well, my passion is governance. And what I believe is if it's not working at the top, it's usually not working anywhere else. And ultimately governance is about oversight and uh, just look around the world today, Greg, uh, you'll know if an organization is well governed and you'll know if it's not. That's my story and I'm sticking to it in terms of what governance <laughs> Well, I think for me, the, the key uh, that, that comes out of there, and we'll talk about that some more in a little while, but you said that family businesses should have outside directors on their board, and so uh, which is so important, brings some, some uh, creative thinking, some ideas that they, they have only have not heard in their own business. So, so let's go a little bit further there. So, um, you know, if you're, how does every family business need to have a board? Am, am I ever too small to have a board? What, what's, what's the sweet spot for that? Or what's your yeah, let me let, let me take that one on with a couple of responses. Uh, my first response would be, let me put on my lawyer hat. You know, I'm a lawyer uh, in CPA, sure. so I can't stay away from that. <laughs> um, you know, look, here's the reality of it. Unless you're a rare bird, which is uh, like myself, believe it or not, I operate as a sole proprietor. Uh, unless you're a one-man band and operating, a one-woman band operating as a sole proprietor, you have a board. So whether you uh, need it, uh, you got it. You know, if you're an LLC, if you're incorporated, an S-Corp, a C-Corp, you have a board. And um, so if your organization has a board, which virtually in every state in America is required, uh, if you're incorporated in any kind of style, and again, lots of people go into LLCs, uh, you know, in special forms, B corporations and all, but you have a board. And uh, a lot of people create those documents and put them in the drawer and forget about them. And just as a sidebar, some of the major, one of my specialties has been shareholder disputes. Now, I, I always like to make the case that I'm one of the persons that really helps resolve problems lots of times when families are having disputes. Uh, you know, the, what's the old Mark Twain saying? You never really know, a, uh, you know, you never, you never really know a man until you share an inheritance with him, you know. So uh, family disputes do happen, Greg. That's so right. when it comes to shareholder disputes, just as a sidebar, again, getting back to boards, uh, it's those uh, documents that were put in the drawer 10, 15, 20 years ago that suddenly in some of these legal matters became enormously important. So that's the sidebar legal issue. More importantly, and, and here's why the question's important. I will never tell anybody they have to have a board. Uh, you know, so let me just come at it from the context of why or why not. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I can give you reasons not to do a board. Let me start with two or three whys and then two or three why nots. But number one why, and you're going to hammer on this in our talk several times, you've already done it once. It's about getting good advice from experts, from experienced people that can help you uh, uh, speak wisdom into the room and into uh, your team about making decisions. 
Second part is it can help you get fresh and innovative ideas for a competitive advantage. And we all need competitive advantages. There's probably not a week that goes by that you don't talk to your business and family clients about uh, being competitive in their businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third reason that people don't think about often, but it becomes enormously important. When it comes time to talk to your bankers or your vendors or your customers uh, or your investors, it really kicks it up a notch if they know that you have outside uh, directors and independent directors, and that's what you get with a board that's not just family members. And then it can help you challenge, look, you work in your business, you grow your sales teams, you grow your uh, entrepreneurial side, you grow your engineering side, you grow your product side. You need to grow the oversight and governance side as well. Now, why not? Let's just make it simple. Sometimes there are people who are the smartest person in the room and they got an idea and they want to run with it. Fine. Have at it. I'll say something else. Uh, back to my story about the guy I had dinner with, uh, you know, uh, uh, he was uh, carping for two years about building that board. It takes time. It puts a strain on management. It takes resources. It can cost some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of energy to think through things. And when you bring outside people in, you know, suddenly all the, uh, you know, chairs on the deck start moving around and people start pushing and shoving sometimes. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of courage for somebody to have an outsider help uh, question their judgment or, you know, think, think something different than they think. And uh, then the final reason, this is a little cheeky, uh, you know, why not to have a board is uh, you don't understand what a board can do for you or you don't see the value. And I will say it again, I work with some people who have a brilliant idea and they're the smartest person in the room and they're the hardest person in the room. And they they say, why would I have a board? And I usually know that's time for me to pick up my bag and hit the door. So those are my answers to that. Okay. Good answers. Good answers. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the value that uh, outside uh, members can bring uh, to, to a board. Uh, and uh, it's important to have an active board. Well, um, sort of going going along that line, uh, Tom. So uh, family members, uh, they're the stakeholders, the stockholders. Uh, they're, they work in the business every day or whatever, um, and they have a board. So should the family uh, members who work daily in the um, in the uh, family business, uh, serve on the board, or or and have outside advisors, or or should they just be the CEO, the the corporate officers, and and have a, a completely separate uh, board of directors? Well, that's a that's a deep question. It depends on the nature of business and how you run it. Uh, you know, it really gets to me uh, gets to the issue of uh, what's a board look like. What are you going to do about a board? How are you going to invest the board? Uh, you get into other related topics like uh, family meetings, family councils, et cetera. So, so I would say it, it really you got if you've not had any kind of a board other than just the mom and pop family board. Um, uh, you you really need to give this some thought. And let me let me uh, take a little sidebar response to that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to thinking about family business boards versus maybe a public company board or whatever, when you have a family business, there's a real natural evolution that comes along with building a board. And keep in mind, this evolution often tracks 
what you see in terms of the first generation entrepreneurial founder, then it moves into transitioning to other family members. Then you move into what some people might call a dynasty where you, you've survived the second and third generation and it's growing. But here's a real common evolution that you get in family business boards. And it's going to be a visual. So just imagine going left to right. On the left-hand side, you have what I call the paper board, which is what I talked about in my example. You, you incorporate late at night. You might do it on incorporate.com. You might pay a big city lawyer to do it, but you take those documents. might have your spouse as a board member or your favorite friend, Greg Lewis, or your dentist or somebody. You fi- file the paper and put it in the door. It's a paper board. And if you're diligent once a year, you pull that out and you have your formal annual meeting and write it for minutes and you're good to go. Uh, the next step becomes what I would be calling a uh, a family uh, and um, family only board. You know, then you you know you, you have a couple kids, you grow the business, some kids come into the business, so it's not just you, it's not just a paper board, but you're actually maybe having meetings once or twice a year, maybe three or four times a year. You got the family members around the table. Then the next level becomes what I would call advisory boards, and that would be. First step of an advisory board would be you kind of got family and friends and you might have your normal, what I would call fee advisors. You know, your CPA might be in the room, your lawyer might be in a room, your business consultant might be in a room. And that's kind of your advisory board that can kick up a notch if you add one or two independent directors. So you have family board and independent directors in the room. And that's, again, a type of advisory board. And then ultimately you get to the far right-hand corner where you have what I would call a true fiduciary board, where you start to have, um, you know, uh, either, either two, two, two ways, either a family where you have outside directors, but you have a majority still being family members. And believe it or not, Greg, and I'm sure you've seen this in your comprehensive work, there are some families out there that have been doing good governance for a long time and have set a very high bar. Right. They actually have, they have a majority of non-family members in the boardroom. And, yeah. and then you get to the technical question, are they advisory or are they statutory or, or fiduciary? That's legal mishmash. But the bottom line is that's a good spectrum to think about having a board. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, there's always that fear of losing control when you right. you have members of your board who are not uh, family members, but it uh, many times it's very powerful, especially if you have a vision for taking your business to a much higher level in a very short period of time. So it's, it's very important. Well, you, you mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago uh, uh, about a family assembly uh, family council, what's the difference in a family assembly, a family council, and a board of directors? Again, um, uh, you can uh, put a lot of details in this, but let's take a pretty simple approach. Uh, A family assembly, uh, we're getting into semantics a lot here, but let's think of a family assembly as a meeting, and Mm -hmm. uh, you have family meetings. It's good for the success of the family, and let's just keep in mind that a family assembly or a family meeting is really more focused on the family side of the business, mm-hmm. okay, versus the business side of the mm-hmm. business. So what do I mean by that? Okay, well, normally family meetings are very simple meetings where you're talking about things like, well, what should family members be paid? Who should be allowed to work in the company? The real basic things. Mm-hmm. Normally, again, when, uh, following the transition in the business, once you go beyond the founder and the entrepreneur stage and you start growing the company and other family members come into the business, 
then a lot of companies move to what's called a family council. It tends to be more formal. Again, it happens at times of transition when you're going past the founding of the entrepreneurial stage. And what you get there is you get a long list of things that are focused on by family members, not so much in the business, so to speak, at the business, but are focused on the family component. And examples of that would be, and many of them are very, very education focused. Who can work in the company and what's required for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can shares be bought or sold? Uh, how do you get returns uh, you know, out of the company, out of the business, into the family's hands? And what should be the rules for that? Uh, if somebody has shares, can they sell them if they need money? So lots of those kinds of questions come in. And so really the family, whether you call it a family meeting or family council, it focuses on the family side of the business. Some people use the language, the softer side of the business. Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. The business side, the board focuses on the business of the business. You know, how do you get the business to have a high performance level. And that's very, very important to do and really focus on. Um, Let me just give you one anecdote, one case study, uh, and you've probably seen very similar things in your work. I'm joining a board. I'm helping them build a board. Uh, You know, it's a powerful family and there's a couple strong-willed members, you know, particularly this situation won't give any of the details other than it was two brothers. And uh, we're sitting and it's time for a generational change, time for a new CEO. Everything's kicking it, doing well. And near the end of the meeting, we talked through all the polite stuff about what a family council can do and a family business can do and a family board can do and a board of directors. And, and But the key thing we need to focus on is succession. And the one brother says, uh, just matter of factly, as I'm walking out the door, oh, by the way, we're going to do the succession. And if it's a family member, I'm quitting and I'm boating everybody off the board because I got the shares to do that. And the other <laughs> brother turns around and says exactly just the opposite. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, there was a great punchline on that story. They ended I'm up sure actually having a family member, but it was somebody who was never expected to have stepped up. You know, it was somebody yeah. who was a total yeah. outlier. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry to go on along, but. Oh, know, that's okay. That's all right. Those, yeah. you know, they're great stories. And uh, the majority of the time when there's uh uh, uh, issues between family members, especially in transition planning, it all gets around to communication. You've, been, you've so I, seen it. Absolutely. I, I, I get that. So uh, one of our listeners is saying, okay, I want to get my uh, 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 board of directors for my family business up and running, and I'm all fired up about it. But uh, what are some of the pitfalls you, you might uh, uh suggest to them uh, to be aware of in developing a family business board? Sure. I can give you a nice little tight list because they're pretty common, uh, common themes. You know, everybody's unique, but you get real common themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is avoid avoiding having a board for fear of losing control. You know, just back to the story I told you about the gentleman who said, I'm going to vote my shares and board the board members, board members off. Keep in mind, if you build the board, if you've got one shareholder that owns 51% of the stock, or you got a number of people that are, you know, sidled up together and they have 51% of the shares, they can vote the board members off. The shareholders and stockholders can vote a board member off. So the mm-hmm. bottom line is board members serve at the pleasure of the owners. Sure. 
Uh, and so people have this fear of losing control. Well, you know, the chances are early on you, you haven't lost control. You won't. Now you take some of these family businesses that are third and fourth generation and have 500 shareholders and the ownership yeah. spread around, you know, unless they have a voting trust, they, they, they're not going to be able to vote uh, board members off immediately. Yeah. So it's a fear of, of losing control. And that's not, second thing is not investing your board. If you've got to go to the trouble of a board, you got to invest in it. You got to get people that know what they're doing. You got to spend a little money to get some good people. And it takes time to, especially if you're going to do it right and, you know, go away and have a little retreat or have a half day session or go to a nice, you know, a place to have the event it takes a little money. Uh, the third becomes uh, having the wrong board. You know, do you want wise counselors or do you want friends and family? Uh, and that's a real yeah. tricky issue to overcome, but that's a hard reality. And I don't think I can say it any more direct or any simpler than that, Greg, is that, that do you want friends and family or do you want people that are really expertise in the business? Uh, you know, so having the right board members for the right reasons. And another uh, example that I'd give, and this is not a shot at you as a consultant or me as a consultant and a lawyer, et cetera. Sure. But, you know, when you start a board, what do you want? Do you want somebody who's, uh, you know, uh, been a CEO in the industry that you're in? Do you want somebody, right. that's, you know, or do you want a college professor? Or do you want a mm-hmm. consultant? What, what, you know, do you want a lawyer or your CPA? You tend to have them available anyway. Anyway, so what do you really want? And so when I say taking a shot at us, you know, you, my friend, I know you've run some business over the years. Me, all <laughs> I've ever done is, you know, run a big healthcare company and be a consultant. So, and mostly a consultant. So, you know, when I go on the board of a manufacturing company like I am, or I'm on the board of a, uh, you know, financial institution like I am, or I'm on the board of a retail company like I've served, I don't have a lot of industry experience, but I happen to be one of those different drummers that think sometimes that's not a bad idea to get a fresh pair of eyes. So, mm-hmm. but that's the key point is having the right people for the right reasons. And then, um, uh, and that's, uh, you know, and then, and then the last pitfall I'd say is people not using the, the board for the right reasons, you know, right. failing, you know, they build a board and then they don't really use it. Right. So, yeah. And if you have a, if you have, uh, 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 outside uh, board members, uh, if they're if they're not being used, uh, they're going to lose interest and not going to totally, uh, serve totally. anyway. So, yep. so yep. anyway, and that yeah. goes that goes to the that goes to another point I would like to make. Uh, not to get ahead of you on questions or anything, but the 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 core. What's one of the core differences between a fiduciary or a statutory board versus an advisory? Uh, a board. Uh, one of the subtle differences, not so much the technical legal difference, but one of the subtle differences between bringing somebody on as a board, voting board member versus just an advisor. Uh, yeah, people tend to lose lose interest if they're just an advisor. Just an advisor, you know, they, right? They just kind of don't, you know. It's just not quite the same. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It also helps when you uh, go to the uh, bank to get that expansion loan or or to a uh, um, to a uh, uh, funding agency that maybe uh, you're wanting to raise money from, if you have a solid board that's uh, fiduciarily uh, or making recommendations to you and to them, it, it helps you a lot in getting that uh, 
that funding that you're looking for there. Huge, huge difference. Huge difference. Huge difference. No huge difference. Yes, it does. Well, you, you sort of talked about it in the pitfalls, but uh, what, what would be uh, two or three uh, best practices for success with a family business board? Sure, happy to get on that, and that, that one can go on pretty long. Here. Oh, yeah. It can be more than two or three, but I'll give you a couple at the top. Sure. First, first thing is, is when you create your, when you create your organization and your board, even, even when it's just a you know, sparkling idea and you're in your first day and hanging your shingle or hanging your first sign out, you need to face the formalities and the details up front, you know, and these are the things people don't like to think about the legal documents, the buy sale agreements, who can own chairs, children, in-laws, those kinds of things, the stock transfer restrictions, when can they be sold, uh, you know, buyout arrangements. If, if we do have a parting of ways, what's going to look like and can we get that answered up front? So, you know, we don't have enormous dis- uh, disputes down the road. And related to that is what I'd call the age old question of who gets how much and why, yep. uh, you know, shareholder matters. I mentioned, I've done a lot of shareholder disputes over the years and you get these real questions about what's a shareholder entitled to is it sure. information is it dividends is it a job. Is it my rights? What, what are you entitled to? And, and then, uh, you know, again, if there are disputes, uh, what are the r- rules for redemption or competing? You know, if I'm, in a family business and I don't like the way it's going, can I go down the street and set up a competing shop? Those kinds of, those are very real questions. Oh yeah. So best practice, face formalities, answer the age old question, gets how much and why. Third point I would make is just the topic of the day, my friend, build and develop a strong board, whether it's statutory and fiduciary or advisory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you build that board and um, let me give you a tip on building that board as we're just talking about best practices. You know, again, back to my chart, kind of going from left to right. What's the evolution of family business board? You know, you start out with the owner and then family and friends and then maybe a few informal advisors, your lawyer and CPA. And then you start adding an independent director or two, whether they be fiduciary or advisory. One of the tips I'd give you is uh, there's a there's a large and material difference. Just as I said, uh, when somebody's an advisory director, they tend not to be as engaged. Uh, and keep as much interest as when they're a statutory director. Likewise, you go get one independent director and bring them in by themselves, and there's a whole room full of family there. It's not as effective as two, and uh, when you get two, it's not as effective as three. You know, three is kind of the ideal number, and I could break that down and go into great lengths about that, but you you could probably pull out a couple biblical admonitions about you know, when there's several together. And, uh, you know, you can just imagine walking into your room by, by yourself the first time and uh, being on your own versus having another uh, person coming in versus maybe two or three who are independent. And if you get two or three people that really think differently and have diverse backgrounds and interests and, and knowledge, you really get a lot of value add. Good. Well, I know I've talked to uh, uh, our family business clients and about this topic all, all the time. And as you said earlier, it's so easy if you're going to have a board is you have family members, but you're already uh, living with them. You're working with them every day. Uh, you're already talking about stuff. So why do I need a board? Um, uh, and then it's easy to go out and get your CPA and your lawyer and your wealth manager or, or your uh, uh, 
uh, preacher from church or, or whatever uh, to serve serve on your board, uh, but you already have access to them every day anyway. What advice would you give to a family business owner in how to uh, seek out and to identify a good fit for a board member for their company? Sure. And I'm going to push back on something you said there real hard before I answer the question about how you find a good board, but it kind of goes to this issue of how you find a good mm-hmm. you know, board members. And if it's your local CPA and or your local lawyer, or might even be your pastor. <laughs> now the pastor, I'll leave out of this category, but <laughs> you think they're more, if you're, if, if you're one of their big clients, what do you think the probability is they're going to give you hard, straight answers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the answer is most people have good integrity and most business professionals are going to tell you the truth. But I've seen many a day when, they, you know, especially as a family first flying, or there's a there's a gig on the line. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to give you a soft tip and yeah. answer. So, yeah. so you want business people. That's one of the first things you look for. You want people with wisdom and honesty. Uh, let's talk again just in answering this. What are some of the real down low benefits of a private company board. Again, we've talked about the value when you go to a, a bank or to get money, but here's the real benefits you get of a private company board. They challenge your thinking. They set high performance standards. Almost inevitably, the strategy, strategic planning, and growth and sales are more, and uh, uh, you get effectively a, a higher level of efficiency and effectiveness. So, so when you start looking for people, look, there's a wide range of people, more than anybody would realize. Uh, you just got to start thinking about it and asking. Uh, ideally, a couple tips about looking for people. If business is five to ten million dollars, well, how about this? You go find somebody that's taken a business from five or ten million dollars to twenty or fifty million dollars. Go find somebody like that. High probability, if you spend just a little time looking around, may not be somebody in your industry but you might find somebody in your community or nearby or in your circles that has done the exact same thing. And maybe they're retired now and looking for some work, or looking for some fun. Uh, they're out there. And yes, you can look for consultants. You can look for college professors. You can look for family business professionals like yourself. There's just a wealth of information. And we've also reached a time uh, in the history of this industry and family businesses and all where there are actually a number of board portals out there where you can, uh, if you do just a little homework, you'll find out uh, ways to get, um, uh, you know, board opportunities and not to you know, put too much of a uh, fine point on it, but I'm aware of one board portal that's pretty uh, well-known uh, that's pretty modestly priced where uh, I know a top company in the $50 million range look to uh, seek board members. And when they applied uh, when they put this job ad out on the board, they had over 200 qualified people wow. apply. So it, believe me, there's a lot of people out there looking for governance. You know, governance has reached what I would call, you know, a renaissance and a sweet spot. So sure. there's lots of key members out there. Now, let me go down another path. Just what do you need or want in a director? Oh, here's a question to ask yourself. Do you want lo- loyalty or do you want honesty? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Good question. <laughs> you know, you know, and a couple of those, everybody wants the high profile CEO in town. Look, you want people that are available. You want people that are capable. You want people that are dependable. And then you also, now here's another thought about building a board. Maybe it's a thought I shouldn't go down too much when you're on the front end and thinking about it for the first time. 
but you want the right skill set for the time at hand. There are times to have a person on your board, and then there's times that you outgrow them or they outgrow you yep. or the goodness fit goes away. Uh, and you also want somebody that's reasonably free from conflicts of interest. Okay. And then the last thing I would say is you want somebody, and, and back to reasonably free of conflicts of interest, your lawyer and your CPA are not free from conflicts of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, the, their, their conflict is they're there to give you legal advice, other advice. And especially if there's a number of family members around the table, they are absolutely conflicted regarding uh, being a good independent director. Mm-hmm. And, and finally, what I'd say is when you're looking for a board member, here's the, one of the questions they ask firsthand. Am I looking for advice? Am I looking for access? Do I want them to have a Rolodex where they can bring us business? Am I looking for action? Am I looking for somebody who can really make some things happen? You know, they've been in here, they've run this kind of company before, they can really uh, help us put together a marketing plan or their greatest strategy and they can help us do a great strategic plan. Or am I looking for authority? You know, am I looking for that wisdom and authority? So those are the things to look for when you're thinking about building a board. Yeah. Well, very wise, wise advice, uh, Tom. Uh, just continuing on uh, with that, just uh, uh, briefly here is, so, uh Access to money is always something that uh, 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 private business owners uh, are looking for. Uh, but uh, inviting your banker or financial institution of some sort to be on your board uh, because you think it's going to improve your access uh, to money is that is that good advice or or not? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, throw down on you from a legal point of view, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what good lawyers do. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. You know, <laughs> that's I, fine. Uh, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. Here's what I'm gonna tell you. I'm I'm gonna tell you. Uh, I don't know the technical answer to that, um, and here's why. I'm going to guess the vast majority of bankers today. Now, old school, like old school, used to be very common to have your lawyer on the board. Mm -hmm. You get for any company of any size today, and the lawyer's malpractice won't allow them to sit on your board. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's the same thing. I suspect most of the bank rules today, it used to be very common to have that happen, have a local banker on your board, you know, and especially like charities and stuff, local college, local hospital, the banker was always on the board and they loan money. The The bank rules have gotten so tight in the last few years, Greg, I'm going to guess that most of the time your banker won't let you, you do that. Now, one step bump removed from that, a lot of the new venture money and private mm-hmm. equity money and all, uh, that's a whole nother issue of having an investor on your board. Right. And you, you want something that's going to wake you up every morning and get you going and, and maybe not in the way you're thinking. Yeah. 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 They want <laughs> I'll let you, t- they want I'll let you take it from there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You can only, you can only imagine that. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for, for that clarification there. Cause I hear yeah. that so often and yeah, uh, it's, it's just, access is something they're looking for or action yep. that you, you mentioned there. Well, yep. you know, 
obviously uh, you have years of experience in this whole area of governance and have worked with uh, uh, both uh, national, international uh, companies, both public and private and with family businesses. So uh, a wealth of information. And you've written a book about it, uh, Claiming Your Place at the Boardroom Table, The Essential Handbook for Excellence in Governance and Effective Directorship. Tell us just a little bit about the book and where can our listeners purchase a copy of your book? Sure. I'm happy to do that. I have, I've had, when I, when I first got passionate about governance, this has been a lot of years ago, I went looking for uh, education and training and I found an organization known as the National Association of Corporate Directors. I know you know them well. Mm -hmm. You've been, been a fan of them for years. National Association of Corporate Directors. And I became a member and, um, became very active with them. Uh, that was my primary professional relationship. And uh, they invited me to speak a lot and invited me to, to uh, teach a lot of their programs. And uh, ultimately, they asked me to uh, kind of put, uh, for a very special reason, my overview thinking on governance, and I was happy to do it. And McGraw-Hill published the book. Uh, one of the funny things they tell you if you ever get invited to do a book with a big publisher is you got no say about the title and you got no, no say about the price <laughs> of the book. Unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're one of the, you know, a Mark Greeny, uh, you know, with the Gray Man or one of the top series or something, you know, until yeah. you're ringing the bell, uh, you know, you're not, you don't have a lot to say. And and the, the book was, uh, you know, the book was about effective governance, and but they liked the idea of a lot of people want to get on board, so they used the title "Claiming Your Place at the Board yeah. Table." You can buy it at any any good bookstore, but of course, Amazon's the easiest way to do things today, or your local indie book, uh, book okay. publisher. And um, what it is, here's the way I describe the book, and it's not based on what I say. It was what I intended to achieve, and I've been proud that, it, that you know, some years on now and, you know, hundreds of reviews will tell you it's a very practical book, very pragmatic about governance. The first chapter is about getting on board, but the other seven chapters are about the blocking tackling of good governance, what it means, how to do it, what's independence, uh, how do I protect myself from liability, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, good detail questions. You know, one of the first things a board member is going to ask you if you approach them about coming on the board uh, after the happy talk, you know, quietly, they always want to know, you know, what's the liability and what's the pay. And um, on the liability question, you'll find a chart in there, you know, nine simple low cost ways to cover yourself and liability. And <laughs> so it's a pretty practical. And what I've liked most about it, Greg, and you're so kind to ask, a lot of boards have picked this up as an orientation tool. Sure. So um, that makes me very pleased and very happy. But okay. just one of many great books on um, uh, governance. I know you interviewed a fellow that I know well um, that uh, did a family business handbook. Uh, the Harvard Business Family. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I believe that was uh, Josh Barron, one of the two yes. authors. Mm -hmm. And that's a fabulous book, too. Oh, yeah. But that's my book. It's about effective governance. If you're looking for a good primer, a single, simple primer on good governance, that's the one to get. Claiming Your Place at the Boardroom Table, The Essential Handbook for Excellence in Governance and Effective Directorship. And let me be uh, really, really uh unkind here and say you can pay retail if you want 
<laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of good goodwill ones out there too right now. It's been out long <laughs> enough that you can you can click right there and buy it for probably half the price. <laughs> Just as a one last little funny part, you know, again, you have nothing to say about pricing it. <laughs> Originally priced at 50 bucks. And I saw you people nuts. This is the you know, best $19 book I ever read. <laughs> well, not for, thank not you for, for your humor. honesty. Uh, yeah. Tom, oh Tom. man, there you go. That's it. Well, yeah. uh, you know, we could talk on for, 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 uh, 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 a lot longer about this uh, uh, great subject and uh, we can do a, another one on a, another part of it at another time. But uh, as we co- sort of come to the end, uh, Tom, you've had a rich history uh, uh, in this whole area of governance, uh, but uh, what's in the future for Tom? You know, just more of the same. I've been blessed to be on a lot of private company boards and have good success. And when I first started out uh, my own practice, I had a very fast start and a very successful career in healthcare administration, which I know you know a lot about. And, uh, you know, I got passionate about governance and hung out my shingle. And early on, I was doing, you know, 80, 90% law and, and 10% governance. And today it's really 90% governance. And I simply work with boards and family members and, and building boards and creating boards and um, dealing with family businesses. Mm-hmm. And then I also, uh, most of my time these days really is sitting and serving on boards, which is my great passion. So, sure, sure. Uh, you know, whether whether as an advisory or statutory director, I don't really care. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, yeah. there's nothing like being involved uh, in, in it and seeing the difference that it makes. Well, well, uh, what are some closing thoughts about governance you'd like to share with our listeners today? I'd say governance is a serious of the heart attack. And if you want your business to grow and develop, uh, uh, you know, when I say serious, serious is the heart attack, I mean, if you don't deal with it and attend to it, it can kill you. Just like if you don't attend to your health and ignore your health, it can get the best of you. And governance is that serious. And you don't think it is until it shows up and then it's very serious. So, hmm. Um, you know, again, old Mark Twain saying, you know, you never, you know, never really know a man until you share an inheritance with him. And and if you're in a family business, you're sharing on You're sharing an inheritance. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you believe me, you're sharing it. Uh, and, and um, um, you know, I just, uh, what, we mentioned the book about the family business handbook by Josh Barron. And, and he had a model, which I'm sure you're familiar with, that I'll close with. And, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's his, not mine, but it's just a brilliant, uh, easy, simple breakdown, you know. So one of the easiest ways to think about a family business, if you want to do it right with governance, is you think about the owner room and then a board room and then a management room and then a family room. You know, you really need, you know, when you're a young kid starting out and you got a, you know, one room walk off apartment, you know, the kitchen's in the same room and the bedroom's in the same room and the living room's in the same room and things don't grow and develop and get done. And as you grow, you buy a house and you have different rooms and, and you want a good, effective business, you want to have a boardroom where just very experienced board, lots of family members, but experienced board members are helping you make the tough decisions that you maybe have a second thought about mm-hmm. or the tough decisions where you really, you know, got the pandemics come along and what do we do about keeping this business going? Those mm-hmm. kinds of issues, you get a little more perspective. You want a management room where management really focuses. And the beauty of the family room is you can step away and not always be in the business mode. You can deal and tend to the family 
You know, you deal with the, the sticky things like Aunt Sally who's always had a job and doesn't really contribute much more anymore, but she needs a job. Well, what's the best way to do about to deal with that so it doesn't engender any kind of bad feelings in the company sure. or the family or whatever, and, and on and on and on. So my advice would be governance is serious. Serious is a heart attack. Uh, review it that way. Get yourself some very good, capable, independent board members, uh, whether you're going to give them a vote or not, get them in the room and get their advice. All right. Good advice. Good advice. Well, Tom, thank you for being my guest on Family Business Today. Please accept our best wishes for a continued success for you and for your work with private and public business leaders. Good. Happy to, my privilege, Craig, and uh, let's stay in touch and do it again soon. To learn more about Tom Bakewell, visit his website at www.thomasbakewell.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee. Our passion is to help families create a positive environment where the family thrives, the business performs, and working together create a lasting family legacy. Would you like the opportunity to be in a small group community of like-minded family business owners and get access to years of experience and wisdom from other family business executives just like you? If you answered yes, I would like to invite you to consider joining a family business mastermind group. To learn more, visit our website at www.thefamilybusinessmastermind.com. If you want to talk, we will listen. So until next time, thanks for joining us.